Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, it's Rob Tyson here, host of the Dig Deep Mining podcast. And today I've got a special guest and friend who has over 40 years experience in the mining and recruitment industry, having trained as a mine engineer, but later went into the recruitment industry and successfully built a recruitment business over 30 plus years. So he has seen the highs, lows, successes, failures and challenges of both industries during that time. Having sold his recruitment business four or five years ago, Dennis became the CEO of Phoenix Global Mining, a US focused based metals explorer and developer of copper in North America, where they're developing an underground mine operation and more recently, they've been listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Many in the mining industry would know or would have heard, come across Dennis Thomas in their travels over the years. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Dennis Thomas. Thank you, Rob. Hi, nice, nice to be with you. And you. Um, thank you for taking the time and agreeing to do, to do this podcast. And I'm really interested in hearing about the journey from how you studied mine engineering degree and then moved into, into recruitment which is obviously an industry that I'm involved in. Um, and now, obviously, you're heading up a, a mining company in the US. Um, so can you, first of all, take us back to when you got started? So from when you were studying a degree um, and then obviously moving into your recruitment business? Well, I was always, as a, a, a child, um, fascinated with rocks. And so I, quite frankly, always wanted to be a geologist. Right. Um, and um, was always collecting rocks. Um, and got persuaded by the principal of the School of Mines at Camborne to to take up mining engineering because he just said, really, it was applied geology, and I've always regarded it that way. Yeah. And so um, it was a, a no-brainer for me, really, um, if you like, being mathematically inclined. First job uh, before I went to Camborne was uh, underground digging drains at Giva Tin Mine. Right. Okay. Uh, and whereabouts is that? If that's down in um, down in Cornwall and okay. on Lands End Peninsula. In yeah. fact, at the time of the 1966 World Cup, so I watched, right, okay. watched the whole watched the whole of England winning the World Cup at the Trewellard Arms near Pendine. If anybody knows that particular area, yeah, I'm sure some of the audience um, would do. Yeah. So it was. Uh, yeah, it was. It was great. Then I went to uh, to Camborne. Um, as part of the vacation work, went out to uh, Kelembe Copper Mine in Uganda um, and, and quite frankly, loved mining, loved yeah. being underground. Graduated in 1969, went out to South Africa uh, underground in the uh, deep gold mines in uh, the Free State and the Western Transvaal, as it was then, um, followed by... Uh, a spell in uh, Western Ireland at Tina Mine, uh, starting up the underground uh, lead zinc copper silver mine. Um, then across to the Weird Ale Lead Company, where I spent three and a half years working as underground manager and then general manager of the company until ICI sold, sold the company. Yeah. Um, uh, I then went along to Mac Hunter, who was then the principal of uh, Hunter Personnel, um, spoke to him. Uh, I had an offer of a job in Iran, went there for a few months, and then the revolution started, so everybody bailed out of there. Yeah. And Mac Hunter got me a job uh, in Nigeria with the Nigerian Mining Corporation. Okay. Um, and at that point, I always said, you know, after, after that job, I came back to the UK in about 1979 and came back to seek revenge, I suppose you might say. Yeah. And, uh, and Mac asked me would I be technical director of Hunter Personnel, who, right, who okay. in fact got me the job. Yeah. So that's, in fact, how I ended up uh, there, if you like, giving technical advice uh, to Mac. Right. Okay. So that's obviously on the, on the recruitment side yes. of the business. Yeah. Um, and then obviously that, I take it, slowly developed in terms of them being part owner of that company or actually maybe even bought the company. Yes. As a, as a director of, uh, of Hunter Personnel, I was very much uh, 
I, I had two two roles really. One was recruitment program, and the second one was really, if you like, consulting on particularly production matters and things like that to clients that we had who were uh, who were recruiting uh, all over the world. It was a worldwide thing, and 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 often. Um, it was advising clients, believe it or not, in the mining industry in those days on, on, on exactly what they wanted. People, people would come along and say, I, 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 on one particular occasion for Tanzania, they said, we, we need four mining engineers. And in fact, I went out to site and a lot of my work involved actually visiting sites and, and, and if you like, hands-on experience on telling people what they wanted. Uh, the four mining engineers, in fact, turned turned into uh, a, a geologist and a metallurgist. They didn't need a mining engineer. Yeah. Um, so often it was informing mining companies and particularly mining executives uh, of exactly what they wanted. Mm. So apart, so it's not obviously a case of just recruiting the people. You're actually more providing consultancy service across a wide range of disciplines, like a mining consultancy does nowadays. Yes, I think I, the important thing at that stage was having practical experience. Uh, Mac, Mac Hunter, uh, who was one of my great mentors in life, um, he, he, if you like, set up the company, I think, back in 1976 um, and, and was extremely ethical, uh, very proper. He was a JP and, and, and the company was running, if you like, at the highest standards. So if you like, it was, it was most important that we that we uh, treated our clients with uh, with high ethical um, standards um, and and we, we ran the operation that way it was it was great and I used to go out and dispense advice if, if people needed it or watch people ruin their operations by recruiting the wrong people sometimes yeah, which is which is what obviously recruitment's all about obviously finding the right people the right position well you can lead a horse to water but you can't yeah. necessarily make them drink yeah certainly certainly yeah. and obviously back then recruitment would have been a lot different obviously now with the internet and social media um obviously a lot of things are done online how was the mining in, in terms of rec- recruitment business how did you go out and find these candidates um and obviously how did you find clients as well well times were different in those days i mean we had a telex yeah. You know, and, and communication, uh, telex was state of the art and, and that was the best way of getting things before before fax came in. Yeah. Um, it occasionally used to lead to the odd disaster. I remember recruiting somebody for Namibia once and, and asking our telex companies, giving them the, uh, the information and saying that uh, Mr. X, who they were recruiting and his family were, were arriving on a certain date in Vinthook, for example. Um, and the flight got changed, and I can still remember that the the, the, um, the telex went out. Uh, I issued an instruction that they were now arriving on this different flight, and the typist, in fact, of the telex, in fact, typed, "They are not arriving." Right. So these poor, this poor family ended up in in Vintook with nobody to see them, no arrangements, no hotel, nobody knew yeah. they were coming. You know, they, they were the sort of things that happened. Yeah, I um, suppose with our younger audience, um, if you can just briefly explain what a telex is. Well, uh, te- yeah, a telex is a, a bit like a, how could you say it, a typewriter, which, um, you know, prints out a message at the other end, wherever the re- the receiving telex is. So, like, yeah. similar to a fax. Yes, similar to a fax, except yeah, it was it was the type message. A bit like sending a text nowadays. Yeah, uh, text is is simply uh, tele- uh, the uh, telex really was just sending text. Yeah, but there were there were there weren't all that many people had them, and companies had them. If we could telex directly, we used an agency in those days. Yeah, and so yeah, a lot of the um, a lot of the correspondence was uh, a lot by mail, ordinary post. Yeah, so most of our communications was by post. Telephones weren't like they are nowadays, and, and and it really sometimes to get a message from A to B took days. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine speaking to try and speak to people in Africa. I mean, sometimes now connectivity isn't always great. Trying to speak to someone in Africa, uh, yes. even nowadays, yes. sometimes these black spots where you can't speak to people. If you didn't have those, even the advances of communication now, um, back then. I'd imagine it'd been ten times harder. Well, I can if if I can reminisce a little bit. I, I can remember yeah, the um, the Iranian situation that I was in. We were in the middle of the Dashtalut, the Great Sand Desert, and and it was a complete communications hole. 
There was a radio, which half the time didn't work. Um, and once you disappeared out to sight, that was it. You, you, we used to look at the planes going overhead and think, God, how, how, how nice it would be to be up in those. And it was exactly the same doing recruitment for that company. It mm. was, uh, you could not talk to anybody on site. Um, and it really was getting messages out with anybody who happened to be leaving and, uh, and, and that type of thing. Yeah. Did you have radios on site? There was a radio, shortwave radio. My experience of shortwave radio trying to make communications was, you know, most of the time it never worked. But, you know, that was maybe operator error, I think the expression would be. Yeah. And I can, and I can remember the first time that uh, I was actually, one of my clients had a major problem in Tanzania. The very first time I used a GPS um, and, and I helped set them up uh, down in southwestern Tanzania near Mbeya on this site. And we were 4,000 feet above sea level. And, and I was trying to ascertain where we were on this GPS. And I actually managed to locate us 4,000 feet below <laughs> sea level. So, I mean, these were all the early days of GPS and experimentation and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, how, how, I suppose, how did you recruit candidates? Uh, obviously, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm I'm more of a headhunter, so I can obviously use um, some of the social media platforms like LinkedIn. Um, I also got quite a few contacts in the industry who I go out and reach reach out to. Back then, obviously, you wouldn't have had social media. Um, again, communication was difficult. Yes. So, was it a case of? really knowing your market and knowing people in the market that can help you find some of these people? I think several things. I mean, uh, the good old mining journal, we advertised every, if anybody that used to can remember the mining journal yeah. from those days would remember that we always had an advertisement in the, uh, in the mining journal every week. So if someone was looking for a position, yeah. they would go to that. They yes. contact you, so and they would, and we had a standing advert, and we and we advertised specifically. Um, for example, if you needed a mining engineer for, I don't know, Mali or or, or Australia or something, we'd advertise specifically. Um, the clients would pay for it. We occasionally have big advertising campaigns in in newspapers, uh, engineering and mining journal, and those sort of things. But the mining journal was our if you like, got us around the world in those days. And that used to get mailed out. And I can, I can still remember in my mining days working in a mining company and there'd be a checklist of people uh, who tick it off when they'd read the mining journal and it would go around the mine. And, and that was a, a great, great medium for, if you like, spreading our word. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, that, that to, a, to a very large extent got my name spread out around the yeah. world. And so that journal was across the world, was it? Yes. That, yeah, mining journal went out all over the place. Yeah. I've, I can still remember in the early days of Glasnost um, uh, in Russia, uh, just after Perestroika there, being in the far east of Russia, um, unable at that stage to speak any Russian or anything like that, and uh, trying to find some information on some mines. This is going, if you like, moving forward into some of my project work, as well as the recruitment. And uh, the uh, saying no, they weren't allowed to uh, to give me any information, and I left my business card. And the the chap just said, Dennis Thomas. He said, I know you. He said, I sent you my CV two weeks ago. <laughs> Thereupon, it released the information. Yeah. So yeah, that was and that was down to the mind job. Yeah, um, Philippines, South America. I bump into people that knew me from the uh, particularly our mining journal at Versus. What about visas as well? Obviously, you were dealing across the world and certain countries, again, through certain, from what I'm experiencing, through certain times, uh, I, I don't know, not necessarily certain times during the year, but certain times countries will put holds on visas or reduce visas. What was the visa situation for various countries back then? We never really had too much problem with visas. Um, I think the biggest problem that we did hit, we used an agent in uh, in London who was very, very good. Uh, we were sending people to Saudi Arabia uh, and it was almost like we had a pipeline going. The biggest problem in those days particularly was the um, before, basically apartheid South Africa um, to recruiting for certain countries. You, you literally, if you had a South African stamp in your passport, uh, you couldn't get a visa issued. So often people would have multiple passports to go into various yeah. places. Um, if, if people had been in Israel, then the Arab countries wouldn't accept them. Um, and there was a great deal of tit for tat 
um, in in that sort of thing. But generally, visas were, dare I say, it, a nuisance rather than uh, a hindrance. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you started to join the business in the early eighties, um, and obviously, you were there for a considerable amount of time. How did you sort of grow the business? I think the um, uh, Mac. Mac and I worked together, uh, I think, up until, well, he sold the business eventually in 1987 uh, to me, uh, or thereabouts, um, when he retired. Um, we grew the, it was word of mouth. Um, it was, uh, I wasn't afraid of getting on a plane and going out and seeing clients. And I think a lot of it was actually spreading myself around the industry. Um, and certainly in latter years, going to conferences in DARBA and the PDAC. Uh, conference in Toronto particularly and just really um, rather than there was no social media in those days it was actually getting myself out in front of clients um, and I've always been of a very very practical uh, bent uh, and kept my hand in if you like on the technical side so uh, and, and of course my one of my great passions um, was uh, project development looking for new projects and this was born out of the fact of seeing many geologists out of work and yet appreciating the fact that they had immense amount of knowledge and particularly of projects. And uh, my project side was born really out of trying to find, help geologists find their own, uh, find their own jobs. That's, that's where it came yeah. from originally. So obviously growing the business from a print perspective, you also had a, a, another business where you were obviously providing consultancy services Um was that with obviously with your yes. own staff as well? So I suppose it's two two business or income streams with one business or two businesses. It was. I must admit, to be perfectly honest, very very much the the um, recruitment side paid for the project business right. rather than any income in the early days coming from the projects business. But the projects business was always a a belief out there that uh, people could generate their own jobs and and their opportunities and and particularly in places where. I saw exceptional geological prospectivity, for want yeah. of a better word. I, I think I was called a prospector fairly early on, and that's always been, if you like, my my real love. Um, and then um, I Mac had retired. Uh, ultimately, I did some recruitment in um, in Australia with um, when with Bealbys, um, but ran the business, and, and eventually Carl Bosman, who many. May, who may be listening to this would know, came in and took over management of the business while I concentrated very much on my on my project side. And so that's how that developed. And um, that gained its own momentum over the years um, until, well, finally, if you like, I, I got back into mainstream industry, but still kept ownership in the uh, in the personnel company and, and occasionally kept my hand in uh, advising on that. Yeah. Obviously, been in the industry for for a long time. I, I bet you met quite a few interesting people. Has anyone anyone come to mind? I I I, <laughs> I might libel myself with some of the some of the characters. I, th- I think the thing about the the mining industry is that that, that it's full of characters. Yeah. Uh, some good ones, some bad ones, some uh, and most. I, I I will say this: that most of the mining, most mining people are of the highest ethical standards. It's something that's, in, you know, it's imbued in us. Uh, there, there are a few crooks around and I think, you know, I'd say I'm not, I'm not going to libel myself at all, but uh, there are characters around as well. I think there's many, uh, we could sit down and yarn over a, a beer or two and, and the funny stories will come out. I think you know, it's, it's, it's a global thing. It's a small yeah. world. It's a, it's, a, it's a small family, the mining industry, yeah. even though it's a vast industry. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I've always loved about mining. It's a, it's, it's a global industry and a xenophobic industry as well, in the sense that, you know, often if you're not of the mining industry, it's very difficult to break into it. Yeah. So it's Well, I've been in the industry, and I'm experienced that myself, I've been in the industry for nine years now. And even though it's a global a global industry and I work on a global basis, it is pretty small. Yes. A lot of people yes. seem to know a lot of people. Um, and you can, if you, if I speak to someone about a certain person, um, if he doesn't know the next person I will speak to, will know that person. So it is obviously a large, covering a large area, but people 
a lot of people know each know each yes. other. So. Yeah. Oh, some brilliant people that you meet. It's it's great. I'm I'm blessed at the moment, and, and no doubt we will get onto this later. Working with some of the best people I've ever ever met in the industry, and 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 that you know is 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 after a dare I say it, a lifetime of, of having to deal with with people. And there are you know I mean, old Mac Hunter. I st- I still remember, and and you might wish to edit this out, but I remember Mac getting frustrated on several occasions, and. And he always used to say, the more he saw of the human race, the more he liked his dog. <laughs> and that, that is a, a fact in the recruitment business yeah. that, that many people have, have very short memories. Yeah, they, they, they don't remember the fact that you helped them out and they were desperate for a job. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they come back to you very shortly afterwards telling you what a rotten job you did, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a funny old business. It is. It is. Um, any achievement or successes or even lessons that you've learned along the way? And I suppose it, that's going over your recruitment business as well as obviously your consultancy business before we move on to obviously what you're doing now. That's a, it's a good question. I think um, uh, achievements, I don't know. I, I think lessons learned to be patient with people. Um, everybody's trying their best out there. Um, there are those that uh, when, I, when, I, when I advise people, um, just be patient with people in the recruitment business. You see people often at their at their at their most desperate level yeah. when when they're trying to feed their family. Uh, it's very easy to be dismissive, and uh, I think you've got to treat people with uh, a certain degree of empathy and, and 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 try and help them. And I've always tried to help people. Mm. I've never knowingly done wrong to anybody in my life, and I think that's a, a tenet of my life that. Uh, you know, it, it helping people. And, um, you know, I carried that through to the project side. Uh, my, my The whole project side started because I, I really would have like, liked to have seen geologists, mining people in general, uh, generate their own jobs, have interest in their own jobs, have ownership in their own jobs yeah. as well. And, and it has succeeded in a number of occasions, you know, on a number of occasions uh, during, if you like, my project business as well. And particularly now with um, with Phoenix, um, you know that, that that I'm doing at the moment, it's it's great to see um, the good guys winning a few. If you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've I've been in recruitment now for 18 years. I've worked in a few different sectors, but mine is the sector I've worked in the longest. Um, and it is different working and recruiting in the mining industry, especially I suppose in in the area that I recruit, which is in overseas markets so people are flying flying fly out because there's a number of different problems and considerations when people are going for jobs for instance if you're working in a city and you're going from one company to another company i suppose you're just comparing salaries and your office perhaps and maybe a few other bits and pieces but in the mining industry there's a lot more to consider when you're going for a position it could be the roster obviously apart from the money the living conditions camp conditions yes um, yeah uh, family life obviously you're away from home for long periods of time so there's a lot of lot of different attributes um which yes i think i think you've mining industry compared to other yeah i think you've hit you've hit a very good point there the one thing that that is involved in our industry is is a total diversification of or of 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 where you're going to work how you're going to work um and particularly when it comes to uh, locations in the tropics, in the in the Arctic, um, the, the the various things that that you have to take into consideration, and particularly recruiting for places where, for example, things either bite, sting, or 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 get stuck into you in some ways that you can get all, all sorts of terrible illnesses. Yeah. I've had I've had all sorts. I even gave a talk once to the um, I think it was I can't remember now, but something like the Australian Institute of medical practitioners or, yeah. or of, of overseas medicine or and it was that sort of thing and i can still remember um giving this talk to a load of doctors and, and it was all about what the mining industry expected of these people you know and, and, it, and it came to all sorts of a whole broad spectrum of things that that we in the industry have to put up with going out to some of these places the yeah. diseases yeah. And, um and and if you like the physical problems yeah. I was going to also say security. Oh, yes. Various countries where, and I've definitely spoke to quite a few candidates that have shared their experiences in various countries and various problems that they've uh, that they've encountered. Well, especially nowadays, of security. course. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the projects 
Um, risk is, is is big business nowadays, and, yeah. and I think particularly if you're if you're recruiting or as as we've been doing, starting up a project. Um, one of the great selling points, of course, with that I have now with Phoenix is is the risk profile of Idaho. Dare yeah. I say it? Which you know you can't get better in anywhere in the world. You know yeah. when you th- when I think of the places that I've travelled to, uh, places like Angola. You know, when we recruited for that, flying in at 22,000 feet and spiralling down to avoid the sands, um, that was a, an everyday hazard to uh, people that were working on the diamond mines in yeah. those days. Um, s- Southern Sudan, you know, setting up projects there, mm-hmm. uh, very much the case. So uh, yeah. an interesting um, an interesting uh, exercise. Yeah. Right. I just want to move... On to now, um, obviously, you're the CEO of Phoenix Global Mining. Just want to get a back, uh, background of, obviously, the company and how you started it. Obviously, you're the founder of the company. So if you can just start from start from the beginning and uh, um, we'll go from there. Yeah, well, as you know, the project business um, uh, was developing. Um, we started up new projects in Argentina, Peru, um, through the contacts that I had. Um, and to cut a long story short, uh, my old friend, Roger Turner, whom I'd known uh, for many years, he's ex-Tajikistan, um, Nelson Gold, um, Oxus Resources. Roger and I, in fact, had tried to set up a consultancy company. Uh, that was a funny story in itself many years ago. Yeah. Um, and in 2013, we decided to set up Phoenix yeah. uh, and established it. Um, I, as part of my project work, uh, working with um, Cliffs Natural Resources, the biggest North American uh, iron miners, yeah. um, we'd been project basically sourcing projects quite successfully for them uh, in around about 2009 up till that, about 2011, 2012. And um, one of the projects that um, we, with along with another uh, friend of mine, Jason Riley, had formed at that stage, we formed a company called Connex with, with Cliffs as a shareholder. And uh, it had, uh, thanks to Jason's efforts, acquired the Empire Mine. So when Roger and I set up... Um, uh, set up uh, Phoenix. Um, we we liked Empire. Yeah. Roger and I, between us, had evaluated probably thousands and, and thousands of projects. Uh, we liked Empire. It was not available because Connex had been backed into a Canadian junior company, which was then called Boxer Boxer Gold, which became XGen Resources. Anyway, Roger and I, as I always say, kissed a lot of frogs. Yeah. Um, we evaluated projects uh, throughout Europe. Um, always keeping um, empire in the back of our our mind, um, and then Turkey. We had some really good projects we were looking at, but then um, XGen um, decided to become a royalty company, and basically the jewel in the crown, Empire, became available. Now Roger and I always saw the potential of Empire, um, and we took it on there and then. I think it was 2015 we finally signed on the dot, took the option up. And Empire, um, to us, had immense potential because it was an old producing mine from 1901 to 1942. Um, It had very high grade, produced grades between 6% and 8% recorded by the US Bureau of Mines. Closed in 1942 when, when the workforce got conscripted and went uh, and went off to war. Um, anyway, to cut a long story short, the efforts to rejuvenate the mine then concentrated in the upper portion where the oxides were. It's a scarn deposit, um, and and really, uh, quite frankly, drilled the living daylights out of it over a period uh, from the mid nineteen sixties. Uh, ultimately, ending up in a resource I think of uh, twenty seven million tons. Uh, that's um, short tons um, of of ore in 1966, 97. Um, And since then, again, they put more holes in the same place. 
we couldn't understand why on earth nobody looked at the underlying sulfides, which were the high grade yeah. ore. And so um, our program, if you like, with with um, uh, with Phoenix was to really look at the oxides and then uh, really take a look at the sulfides where we believe the real potential of the ore body uh, ultimately lay. And so we we actually went public in on June the 29th uh, last year, 2017. Yep. And I, I keep telling everybody since then, we've been reinventing the wheel, in fact, in, in because of the, the old resources that we had were historical resources back from the 1990s. Obviously, with um, Jork compliance 43101s being uh, in the ascendancy, we had to basically reconfirm that, that ore body. Yeah. Um, and, and we've had drilling programs to complement that, producing a preliminary economic assessment um, uh, PEA back uh, in April yeah. this year and undergoing a drilling program uh, as well now doing infill drilling to... Um, to confirm the resource, yeah. uh, with I might add, as of yesterday's press release, with spectacular success. Yes. And you show me the results, and yeah, very good results. Yes, they are. Um, they've for the first time we, we are seeing the sulfides and high grade sulfides showing themselves. Uh, our consulting geologist, when we started the project, uh, contended that we probably not even seen five percent of the ore system, uh, and I, I believe that to be so. So we're sitting with Phoenix at the moment with a, what, what can I say, an expanding ore body. Yeah. Um, and and the sulfide starting to show themselves uh, in high grades as well. So it's a, it's a very good, very good position to be in. And, and I might add, the mine itself is um, copper, uh, predominantly copper, but it's, it's starting to show high grades of gold, silver, okay. zinc. Yeah. Uh, and, and at low, um, in the lower regions, tungsten. It, the last shipments that actually went from the mine in 1942 were a high-grade tungsten okay. shipments, and the Stokes were running at 4.28% right. uh, W3. Yeah, a commodity. Yeah. I know a little bit about that. And, of course, we have taken up um, uh, two cobalt, uh, groups of cobalt claims yes. as well, the, the Idaho Cobalt Belt. So we're very much focused on, um, on North America, Idaho in particular, with um, a recent option we took out on a high-grade gold uh, exploration project, the Gordon Lake project in the Northwest Territories, just north of Yellowknife. So, the the um, we're very heavily into uh, into North America. Yeah. Um, we uh, we're listed on AIM, and we uh, within the next few days will be listed on the OTCQX market in New York as well. Uh, we have American investors who are uh, who can't invest in us really, and and while we're just on AIM, um, and we've taken steps to, to change that. Uh, and as I said, we'll be OTCQX listed. Um, we've got the residents of Mackey, where, where our project is in, in Idaho, who are extremely supportive and can't buy our shares. Well, that, yeah. that will change. Yeah. How, how did you find going, uh, going public, going on the stock exchange, that whole process? Well, it's a bit like climbing Mount Everest, I always reckon, <laughs> but quite frankly, the, the, the mass of paperwork and formalities to go through. Um, I, I, at this stage, I, I might say we've got a brilliant team and Richard, Wilkin, Richard Wilkins, uh, our CFO, uh, has performed heroics in getting wading through the paperwork and steering us through. Yeah. Uh, we had a, our chairman, Marcus Edwards-Jones, uh, done a splendid job you know, with the shareholder the shareholder uh, relations and, and raising money. Um, and Roger, technically, Roger Turner, technically, um, has done a brilliant job, uh, if you like, in the presentational material and the technical side. He's our chief technical officer. But also, we've been blessed. Uh, and I, um, you know, before we IPO'd and, and since IPO'd with um, uh, our, our, if you like, our project management, Ryan McDermott, who's now our CEO. COO, um, and the, the brilliant team that we've got working. We're understanding the ore body. Um, it's a SCARN ore body and complex, and we've got some great SCARN specialists uh, at Bingham Canyon. And, and the whole team, this is a whole team effort. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, to a certain extent, I feel you know I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with the whole lot, quite frankly, and, and they're the ones that do all the work. Yeah, 
yeah, I suppose like any any mining company, it's not the the top tier that oh, obviously the top tier get all the uh, recognition, but it is a team effort from yes, from yeah. bottom up to top. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, why does this work? Why does why is Phoenix working? Why do I sit here feeling pleased with the way things are going? Is is exactly that? Is yeah. that is that the, the team is doing the stuff and. and um, uh, I've always said, and I said it earlier on, you know, that, that you can have the best ore body in the world and you can put the wrong people in there. Yeah. I come I come back to recruitment. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't work. In this case, the the Empire ore body is pretty much a classic in the sense that people have regarded this as a, dare I say it, a one-trick pony. Yeah. In other words, that it's a it's a small oxide deposit. Um, it took vision and it took belief, and that's what everybody in the company's had. Um, and Ryan, for example, our, our, our project manager, our COO, um, he, he's an Idaho boy. His parents, um, grandparents, his grandfather worked in the mine back in the, uh, in the 40s. Um, everybody's had faith in this, and, and it's great to see it coming because the team's there. Yeah. Um, what challenges have you faced like you, like, that you would like to share with us at all from obviously from starting this company up? I think the main challenge is, quite frankly, the main challenge as far as I'm concerned has, has been really getting the message out there um, to, uh, to, to, to get people to, to understand what we're about and, and, and really to tell people that, um, how can I say it, what our expectations are, our beliefs, and getting people to believe the fact that what is now happening is what we said would happen before. I'm, 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 I'm not surprised that we're having success at the moment because we've always said it was. We've yeah. always hinted it. So if you like, in many ways, raising money is always the main challenge for any miner. Yeah. You ask any 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 technical person that is um, uh, that if you like has a good project or has a project, the biggest problem is getting getting funded. Yeah. Getting financing, and and again, dare I say it? I, I'm blessed. You know, our chairman Marcus is well connected. We, you know, Richard. It's been a good team effort yeah. in in raising that money and getting the message out there, really. And I think every CEO, every executive on any mining board will probably say the same. You know, particularly in the junior sector. I think when you're working for a major, it's a different kettle of fish because to a certain extent, you've got critical mass behind you and it's just a matter of then of doing a good technical job. But in the junior sector, then there are so many things. You've got to be head cook and bottle washer half the time. Yeah. So how do you see the future of Phoenix uh, over the, I suppose, short and medium and maybe even long term? But well, how do you see the company developing? And your well, Phoenix, um, Phoenix going forward, I think is very exciting. Um I, I, I believe in the Empire All Body. I think that there are a lot of challenges that we've got now in looking at the All Body anew. Now that we've got the new high-grade sulfides uh, coming coming to surface, well, I won't say to surface, but but showing themselves, um, I think it has an immense potential. Um, I think the cobalt belt, the projects we've got up there, I think that cobalt excites me, and, and again, they are highly prospective. Um, I think the Empire all body will, quite frankly, as I said, that proverbial onion, I think it will start revealing all sorts of uh, surprises to us. And I'm, I'm excited to get down, if you like, into the lower regions, see what the tungsten potential is. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it is, you know, that that's what I think we're at at the moment. And I think that um, we're, in a, we're in a good position to, uh, to, to, to realise that now. And it's just a matter of, just a matter of time now. We'll see over the next, certainly the next year will be very telling in, in how this all body and, and the company develops. I think it's got great potential. Yeah. Obviously, the mining industry has gone through a recession um, over the past, well, probably five or six years. Um, I think we are coming out of that um, and slowly sort of building up momentum. How do you see the next maybe three to five years uh, as the industry as a whole? Well, when you when you've been in the industry as long as as long as I have, you've seen it going up and down like a yo-yo. Um, my my feelings are that the um, one of the big compelling uh, 
um, stories, I believe, that's developing in the uh, in, in the world is the move to a, to green energy, for want of a better yeah. word, uh, electric vehicles, uh, wind farms, the whole business of getting away from the uh, internal combustion engine. Um, and I think the fundamentals, particularly with regard to copper, which which we're in, uh, I think haven't changed. And I think trade wars, not notwithstanding, as as we have at the moment, I think that the whole business of the uh, the shortage, potential shortage of copper, has to be addressed. Yeah, uh, I think we're in excellent position in, in that uh, we you know we we're looking at copper particularly, even the cobalt belt. We're looking at cobalt and copper. Yeah. Um, and I think I think base metals are there. I think cobalt's needed batteries. Yeah. Uh, the whole move of that sort of thing, I think, with the momentum yeah. for that will as go opposed on. to additional gold, copper, etc. Yes. Yeah, I think gold. There'll always be gold. Will always be the great standby. Yeah. Um, and I think people speculate on currencies. You know, the, the, the global ups and downs of politics. I yeah. think will will affect metals in in a lot of respects. But things like Cobalt, copper, uh, we're in tungsten. Strategic metals in general, I think. Um, I think a lot of com- countries, and particularly the United States, will start looking into itself, which it already is under under President Trump. Um, and and it will be interesting to see how things play out on on that. And and if you like the trade wars yeah. that are going on right at the moment as we speak. Yeah, interesting times ahead for the mining industry. Oh, very good. I, I, it, it, it'll always be there. I, people. People will always need. Well, people have to live, and yeah. and what people a lot of people don't realise is that the world wouldn't exist without the mining industry. Certainly. We've been around a long time. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of commodities that are used in every day. Yes, things that you do every day, objects that you use, and products you use every day. Originally, that the material has come from the mining industry, and not a lot of people sort of know that. Well, I think we take it. For, we take the mining industry yeah. for granted, and and I remember my first lecture at Camborne back a long time ago when when we we looked at the world and somebody said you know the first great industry of the world is agriculture and farming because we have to eat and the second great industry in the world is mining mm. and and I've never forgotten that and yeah. that's the way it is whether we like it or not yeah certainly um I want to slowly wrap this up so um I appreciate and listening to your listening to your journey and obviously speaking about uh, your current company phoenix um so for the last five minutes, just want to uh, give a, a few uh, quick fire questions to you that I'm going to ask every uh, every interviewee. Um, that sounds so, terrible. <laughs> so why do you enjoy mining? I, I enjoy mining because I, I I love the industry, love the people in it. Yeah. Um, great satisfaction. It's just to me, it's always fast. It's fundamentally fascinating. I love it. Yeah. Um, who's been the most influential person? In the, on on you within the mining industry or, or I, in your I, career, in my career there have been there been a number. I mean, as as a as a school uh, at school, my geology teacher Brian Loy, who unfortunately is dead now. Um, early part of my career, Mac Hunter, um, of, of what originally was then Hunter Personnel, with the company I took over. Um, he was he was great, very very strong influence on me. Um, great, great man, yeah. um, and put a lot of the standards that I have, if you like, into, into me. Um, in latter years, I, I have to mention Roger, Roger yeah. Turner, who I work with at the moment. I think Roger has been a great friend, um, and and I respect him immensely yeah. in regard to uh, his knowledge, his patience, and and, and he's, it's like working with an X-ray machine. Yeah. He's the best project evaluator I, I've ever met. And he's forgotten more than I know, to be perfectly honest. And we're both we're both Camborne men, but he's a great example. Yeah. Um, this might be a, a not necessarily a appropriate question to you, but is there anything else you still want to achieve? I'd like to get the Phoenix share price up a lot higher okay. than it is, because that would then, if you like, recognise the faith that we've all been showing in in, yeah. in what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very selfish so, thing yeah. to say. <laughs> so anyone out there who's looking to buy some shares, then uh, you've heard it here. Oh, first. absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I will bang on that drum forever, believe me. Um, we, we might have covered this, but where do you see the future of mining? I, I think it, it it's 
I think there will always be, it's, it's in two parts, really. I think, if you like, there's the little companies out there. The prospectors are still out there. Um, the, uh, the big companies will probably get bigger, uh, and I think things will move that way. From a recruitment point of view, the world has changed in the juniors. There's a lot of juniors out there, but I think from, from your perspective as a recruiter, it's a lot more difficult now than it was, for example, when people were combing Africa and Asia and South America um, 20, 30 years yeah. ago. Um, it's, a, it's a different world. Yeah. I think there's a lot of localization, and I think one has got to move into social media and, and the computerization of everything, yeah. uh, much more so, if you like, them than the odd dinosaur or two like me. But yeah. um, I've tried to embrace it as much as, much as I can anyway. Yeah. Obviously, what I've noticed in the industry, um, and, I, and I suppose a lot of people do, and a lot of clients have, that I've spoken to, is there's not enough people coming through through the system. So that is not, there's not people actually studying mine engineering or geology. Um, the numbers yes. have been down. That could be partly due to the industry um, in terms of obviously the recession the mining being in recession over the past four or five years. But I think even prior to that, there was um, the numbers were still down from maybe 15, 20 years ago. So I think there needs to be some sort of um, emphasis in making mining more attractive and getting a lot of people into mining through obviously studying degrees yes. and studying higher, higher education or any kind well, of education. One of, one of one of my old chestnuts has always been, and I've, I've banged this drum on, on numerous occasions, is the fact that, in my opinion, we as an industry do not do ourselves any favours. We don't, we don't advertise the use we are, for want of a better word, the benefits that we bring to, to, to the world. We, we, we often are defensive. Um, we wonder why often you try and set up a bank account as a junior mining company and the bank won't, won't give you an account because you've got the word mining in your name. That's, right. ha- that's happened right. to me. Um, That's surprising. Yes, it is. And, and we can't set up a bank account because we're mining and therefore the bank doesn't want to know us. That is, that is down to us. We've got to, we've got to represent ourselves a lot better than, than we are. Um, everybody wants to be a vet or, or a doctor or something because the television you know, has programs on vets and it's all, you know, people want to be a vet and they aspire to that. But you, know, you don't see the mining industry out there promoting itself right. and saying, Look, here we are. This is what we do. Yes, I think it happens at a, a local level. And I think people, uh, if you like, people aren't aware of, of, of how vital we are. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 to us, it's just a no-brainer. But to you know, you mentioned, you mentioned uh, we've got to counteract to a certain extent, you know, a lot of the things that, that are said against us. Um, but confrontation often doesn't work and I think we've you know we've got to promote ourselves without necessarily getting into a fight with NGOs and that sort of thing I've, I've, I've had a success in the past in various parts of the world actually working with NGOs and working with organizations you know to, to the benefit of everybody particularly yeah. the um, the local people wherever wherever it happens to be yeah um, and lastly, any advice you'll give to any sort of mining professionals in the industry um, to sort of better develop themselves? So whether even if it's a graduate or someone uh, um, maybe have five or ten years experience, any any advice that you would you would give them? Um, I, I I think patience. I think um, I think one has got to. Um, I think often I've seen too many people try and run before they can walk. Even. Yeah. Um, I think there is, you know, with, I've seen various people with a certain arrogance that they know each other. I think I think the industry is such that it sorts, it often sorts people out who, who uh, maybe aren't as able as they think they are. But yeah. but that's the same in life. You you meet those sort of people. But no, I, my my advice is it's a great industry. Go in there and learn, and and um, you know assimilate it and and yeah. Take note, if you like, of the modern developments, um, and 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 go with the flow as far as the mining industry is concerned. I think um, you know, keep an open mind is the most important thing. I think yeah. that that I do. I've, I've developed patience over the years, which is 
maybe what I didn't have in years gone by. But, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's what Anno Domini do for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's great advice to uh, sort of up-and-coming uh, mining engineers or anyone that's involved in the, the mining industry. Um, well, thank you, Dennis, for, for taking the time to discuss uh, your journey um, and especially, obviously, your company, Phoenix Global Mining. Um, if our audience wants to contact you, um, how can they go about doing that? Well, go to our website. Um, I'm, my email address is on there, um, www.pgmining.com. Um, all the information, if you like, for me, my contact. My phone has always been ready for anybody who wants to call me and talk with me. I've always, all the way through my recruitment life, people could call me day and night and quite frankly often did. I might add three o'clock in the morning from all sorts of peculiar places. No, I'm, I'm, I'm around if people want to talk to me. I, I've always been an open book and, and I might, have, I, 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 I've never forgotten my roots. Yeah. And I think that's, if I'm going to, again, in that last question you had, if, um, if I was to give one piece of advice, don't forget where you come from. And I've never forgotten my roots. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm available to chat with anybody. I, I really don't mind. And, and, and I'm, for example, happy mentoring students at Campbell at the moment and things like that. If I put something back into the industry, yeah. I'm happy to do so. Yeah. Which is great. Um, alternatively, you can obviously contact myself, um, which is rob at mining-international.org. Um, and if you can put in the title podcast, just so I know it's in reference to this. Um, well, thank you for thank you for sharing your journey, uh, Dennis, um, and thank you for listening. Um, and t- until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.